Whereas a lot of people, when they buy the tool, will be it a, a club, a knife, or something like that, they don't have possession of that. All of a sudden, they think they are defenseless. We all want to operate at peak performance and push past our barriers, find new bodies, be the best that we can possibly be. Now, I've long been an advocate of natural training, believing strongly that Mother Nature has provided all the tools that we need. But recently, a few new innovations have evolved my mindset in this area. One of these is the new NeuroStim device for physical performance enhancement called Halo. Now, Halo stimulates that area of your brain responsible for movement, and the company has demonstrated a positive neuroplastic effect leading to performance gains in both individuals and teams. It's very simple to use and comfortable. I'm using it now to enhance my physical training as well as my somatic movement skills. Think Tai Chi. So I'm excited to now introduce this to the Unbeatable Mind tribe. And the team at Halo is offering $125 off the sport model. So check out their website at haloneuro.com. That's H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. And use the code UNBEATABLEMIND125 at checkout. Trust me on this one. There are a few folks who already have the jump on you. So go to haloneuro.com today and use the promo code UNBEATABLEMIND125. Folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. So great to see you again or hear you. Actually, I'm not hearing you. You're hearing me. Either way, super great to have you on the other end of whatever medium you're on. We are filming this, so if you go to the YouTube channel or unbeatablemind.com, you'll be able to see the video of this podcast. And I've got a really good friend of mine, someone I've known for many, many years since I checked into Buds, Tim Larkin. Good Tim to see Larkin. you, man. Yeah, good to see you, buddy. How things been? Really good. But pause before we get into this, because as soon as Tim and I start talking, like all hell will break loose. It's gone. It's gone. (laughs) It's all gone. I need to tell you that we have our Unbeatable Mind Summit coming up December 1 to 3. We have some amazing speakers lined up. This is really about projecting the unbeatable mind and accomplishments of others, as well as doing some practice and coming together as a tribe. It's an extraordinary event. We have a blast every year, and the feedback is phenomenal. We're about halfway uh, through the enrollment, so we're over 50% filled. Also, if you haven't rated this uh, podcast on iTunes and or the other places that it exists, please do so, and it helps others find it. So Tim, Tim is the founder of Target Focus Training, Yes, and I'll, I'll talk about that, something that I have uh, a bit of experience with. Uh, he's also the best-selling author of Surviving the Unthinkable, yes. which is basically a self-protection uh, manual. And then um, author of the upcoming New York Times bestseller, I'm going to put that out there right now. Thank you. Appreciate called that. Uh, When Violence is the Answer, oh, published by Little Brown. That's be coming out when? That'll be coming out September 5th. September 5th. Oh, that's pretty darn close. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about your background, uh, target focus training, and then I'd like to really dig into this because this is the why behind yeah. the what, right? Yeah. So your first book was really how to go and defend yourself or protect, you know, your, your loved ones. This one is the why. And I think yeah. that's, you know, like I said earlier, this is the one that you wanted to write first, yeah. but they wouldn't let you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to put this down, but we're going to come back to that. So cool. So I just um, kind of as a backdrop, I had a podcast last week with a guy named Dean Carnassus, who's a, he wrote the book, The Road to Sparta, and he ran the route that the, the guy 
ran to basically from Athens to Sparta wow. to invite the Spartans up to fight the Persians. This is before Thermopylae. It was right. 100 miles and was, you know, considered unthinkable at the time. But the Spartans had these, you know, these unbelievable runners, obviously mentally tough, and, and they could get places faster than a horse. It's pretty cool. Anyways, that's a total aside. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, except right. that Dean told me we were talking about travel, and he said that it's really interesting. You get a lot of perspective when you travel. And we think of the world as an extraordinarily violent place, right? Because we watch the news cycle, and it's like, holy cow, look at that. I mean, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, the, the southeast, you know, India, all these places are just crazy violent compared to nice, comfortable United States. Right. And he said he was in Uzbekistan, and he had some people come up to him and say, hey, you know, Dean, aren't you really nervous living in the United States with all that violence? And it really took him back. He's like, Wow. That's interesting perspective, and it made him think, yeah, the United States isn't nearly as safe as we think it is because, right. you know, we look at violence elsewhere. We, we kind of ignore it at home. Right. What's your thoughts on that? Being a It's funny because in, in, in my business, you know, I'm constantly, when I'm interviewed, people are always saying, hey, well, the murder rate's lower than it's ever been. Right. You know, we are, are quote-unquote, the safest it's ever been in the United States. And that's you, statistically, though, Statistically, right? and that's right. the interesting part about it. It's It's... What they don't delve deeper into is, does that mean that we're less violent or does it mean that medical technology is that much better? Yeah. And that's what's happening. And saving people yeah. from violent encounters. So the statistics right. change. Something that would have been a murder, say, five years ago, now the person, because of medical technology, was able to be saved. But the act that brought him to that point is no less violent than right. it was before. So there, you have to kind of look below the surface of what, you know, what the agenda is right. of the statistics. Right. People understand that Violence is a subject that is really controversial and people want to quickly be able to dismiss it in some way, shape or form. And that's why a lot of people say that. But what's interesting is what you said, an outside perspective looking in mm-hmm. at us, they see us very differently and they, they see a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we kind of take for granted and as normal, mm-hmm. they see it as a potentially really, you know, intimidating and potentially violent right? because they don't operate that way. Like, so generally speaking, a neighborhood, let's say, in Uzbekistan is probably really peaceful and supportive and still living, living with some old tribal values. And so they, you know, neighbor, neighborly violence is almost unthinkable. But as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's okay for an entire political faction to off another faction. Yeah. You know, and so they think that's normal and we think that's extreme. Yeah, political violence, I've noticed in a lot of the uh, Asian countries that I go to, yeah. is very accepted and very right. normal. We were talking earlier about when my experience in India, when, when I had that. They were focusing on kind of like what, what happened to Dean. They were focusing, right. they were saying, oh, Compton, they were saying Detroit. There's, they're naming off all the areas that they know from the United States. And, you know, they saw that as like criminal violence is very different to them. They see it extreme, being extremely violent, whereas political violence, which is incredibly bad uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, very violent, mm-hmm. they see that as the norm. So, you know, uh, killing your neighbor uh, would be in a domestic dispute would be something that would be, you know, really looked down upon. Whereas if you were from the wrong political party yeah, yeah. and you went over, it would be like, my oh, brother-in-law okay. just went down to Cabo, right. Yeah. And, and uh, San Jose to Cabo. And he came back as fast as he could. Cause he said they, they found three heads at the local uh, grocery store and there were over 18 murders. It's, it's the cartels have moved yeah. in now. And I said, wow, are, is everyone leaving? And they're like, no, you know, everyone's minding their own business. The, you know, they're not involved. Then you're pretty safe. Right. 
And they're still building hotels and, oh, yeah. you know, the cartels wouldn't be stupid enough, I don't think, to muck with the tourism trade. It's so interesting. So that kind of lives kind of side by side, but, you know, most people just ignore it because, hey, if you're not involved in the cartel, they're not going to bother you. Right. But if you cross paths with them or they get something you want, right. stand by. Yeah. Or you get, you get caught, you know, the, the random thing where you get caught like in a crossfire yeah, or something that like that. Too. Yeah. The Mexican government's really very protective of Cabo because it's one of the last places yeah, from, a, from a vacation uh, a vacation right. spot that people are still going to on a regular right. basis. Right. But, you know, my wife and I went down two years ago in the really wealthy shopping center. It was pinned down. They had, they had the Marines in there. They had everybody pinning down 35 cartel guys Not that were kidding. hiding. They were actually hiding from another cartel guy. They just wanted them out. And so they just came in and it was a really violent takedown of wow. these guys. No kidding. And it really affected. I knew, the only reason I knew that, though, was because I flew down with a guy that runs like a uh, tourist pirate ship kind of a tall ship that he runs. And he was telling us the whole thing. He goes, yeah, it's really affecting my business. I got to be I'm careful. Sure, yeah. Don't know where I can moor my boats anymore type of thing. Yeah. So this general theme that I'm kind of like opening the show with is that in your opinion, is the world becoming more violent? Because it sure appears that way to me and to most people, you know, with, with terrorism and ISIS and the, you know, it's the age of the warlords basically. Yeah. Right. In, 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 you know, certain circles, you'll, you'll hear that, that term that we've been under the age of the warlords. And, and so a lot of people, including many listening, are starting to really pay attention to their own surroundings and, and investing in security systems that they wouldn't normally have and locking their doors. You know, I never locked my door right. back even here in California, but now we do. My right. wife insists on it. And they're seeking knowledge on mental toughness. That's why our business is growing. And on personal protection, which is why your business is growing. So it sure seems like violence is on the rise. Is that accurate or is it just media? I, I think it's a com combination of the economic disruption that's going on. Like a lot of people are really affected yeah, economically. Since 2008. Right? Yeah, since real... 2008, it's been crazy. Gun sales, you know, another part of uh, my business, uh, a, a separate business, involves, you know, the firearms business. Mm -hmm. Incredible what, what's happened in that business and, and gun sales. People that, friends of mine that literally would never think of buying a gun, you know, that I've known for you know, over well over 20 years, were calling me up mm -hmm. and just saying, I need a gun. And, you know, not thinking about training or anything else, just the idea that it's, it's, it's almost like a physical pacifier for them. Like, right. you know, it's like, I feel better yeah. now that I have my By the gun. way, a gun without training is oh, not such a great idea. It's a nightmare. It's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I think what we're seeing, though, is we're seeing, as you said, the warlords. This goes back to... Basically, you and I, uh, we saw it happen during our careers, meaning the, the, the transfer happened from the old Soviet model, mm -hmm. you know, to this tribe, this tribal, tribal going yeah. back. And it was really funny. I mean, I, you know, after I was injured, you know, for those of you that don't know, I was going through SEAL training. I got injured and I got in the intel community. I was assigned to Spec Warcom you know, with the Admiral. And so mm -hmm. those guys were actually looking at that. When the wall came down, their first thing was... Hey, we're going back to these tribal things. They yeah. predicted what was going to happen yeah. in Yugoslavia. Yeah. They were looking at that early on. We called it back then. We called it low intensity conflict. Right. What we didn't anticipate was how it was going to affect us here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing that. You're seeing it in the U.K. Right. You're seeing it in Europe. You're seeing violence on a level that that is was unthinkable. The things that are happening, and people don't have an answer for it right. because and and. It's good. Western society, for the most part, doesn't have an answer for it because we were so good at violence for so long. Meaning, mm -hmm. we were so overwhelmingly, you know, our militaries were so overwhelmingly. Yeah, we in suppressed charge it all with our military. That we gave forces. the illusion to our population that hey, 
there's no need. You know, the only people that look at the subject of violence are criminals. And therefore you, you know, whereas a hundred years ago, anybody like in our position, anybody, well, uh, they'd have to know how to take care of themselves. To, well, and that's the general uh, liberal position or, you know, Democratic Party position, I'll say, is that, you know, you don't need a gun because the government's going to take care of your protection your safety that that's what yeah. the local police force is or the national guard and all that so why would you need a gun because a gun can only be used for in, illegal action absolutely yeah and that yeah. and that that's the perception because it, there's a knee-jerk reaction every time that there that violence is never the answer you know that, that that it's never right there's always an alternative or it's only for the professionals mm-hmm. and that's something that we saw we've seen it in the uk for years they took that approach and we see the results of that you know they came out 2006, I think Metropolitan Police over in the UK said, "Hey, we are no longer first responders. Mm-hmm. We can respond after the fact, but don't depend on us to be there as first responders." Most major police departments now are saying the same thing. No kidding. So we are, our, whether we want it to, or we are our own first responders, yeah. and very few people have anything in the toolbox to deal with right. that because they've associated that if I go there, if I start looking at this and learn how to deal with this subject, it somehow will make me a criminal. You know that only because. We've associated this with criminal activity, right? And or and or on the other side, first responders, you know, right. true first responders. Right. Okay, those are the two groups that are allowed to look at violence, and the people that get left alone, the people that are most unprepared for it, yet have the most to lose, are civilians. Right. You know, yeah. and so that that's kind of the idea behind. Yeah, the I'm going to make a bold statement for anyone who owns a gun or who's thinking about buying a gun. Okay, so the gun isn't going to save you, no. right? And it's much more effective to learn. The psychology of offensive fighting, yep. how to avoid threats, and then how to take care of business with the tools at your disposal. Absolutely. And I'm not going to discount a gun there, but my gun is locked in my garage. Right. My wife will not allow me to have it in my house, and for good reason. Right. So if someone comes barging into my house, am I going to say, hey, no, wait, stay right there. Let me run to the garage, get my gun, and bring it back, and then we'll right. start over? Right. <laughs> no. Yeah, not going to happen. Not going to happen. No. So it's, it's these, it's my hands, it's my head, it's, and it's the tools that I have readily available. It might be a pencil like James Bond, you know what I mean? I just happened to grab. Well, the, the whole approach to this, the, this idea that I, that I love, that I, that I responded to right away when I saw this approach to it that, that you got exposed to, was the idea that your, your brain is your primary weapon, right. your body is your secondary weapon, meaning all your tools there, and everything else is ancillary. Right. It's a luxury. It's, a and luxury. So, it's and nice so, to have, not yeah, a need to have. Yeah. But, but we don't have that. Whereas a lot of people, when they buy the tool, be it a, a club, a knife, or something like that, if they don't have possession of that, all of a sudden they think they are defenseless. Right. And that's the problem. And, and if you can... They become start, a slave to the tool. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, first train the human, and then you use the tool. You don't... My buddy actually came up with a really, thing. really good, uh, one of my trainers came up with a really good analogy. He said, he said, the firearm has become the remote control of self-protection, meaning most people, if they lost their remote control right now, probably have a hard time figuring out how to turn their TV on or get their system going <laughs> because we're so used to it. Right. And it's easy. It's an easy device that you can just point and, and you don't have to really think about it. And then the illusion with the firearm is that, that it somehow mystically you know, protects you. And I tell people all the time. If you have that firearm and you're driving at 50 miles an hour holding your firearm up and you're heading right towards that concrete pylon, <laughs> this thing's not going to protect you. It's not going to do anything. You're just as immune, meaning it is merely a tool and, and it's only good if you know how to use it correctly. Right. And, and your statement early on is, you know, nobody could be more pro firearms than me. I have a, I have licenses up the yin yang on, on, we can build class three weapons. We can do all this. So I'm very pro that way. 
But I'm surprised, and you know, a lot of people are going to not like what I'm about to say. I really think it's a responsibility that you definitely, before you own one, you should have training. Yeah, I agree. So when we talk about gun control, why not require training yeah. first as Absolutely. a prerequisite? Yeah. And I'd be all for that, both in the ethics and moral use and as well as you know the controlled use in a violent encounter. Train the person and make it something hard, a little bit painful yeah. to get. And yeah. then if you get that certificate that you've been to whatever, target focus training or machine guns Las Vegas for your right. training, then you can go buy a gun. Yeah, and, 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 that's, and, 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 and I don't think it's, it's ridiculous. And every responsible gun owner I know does that. They, they do that with their family. Absolutely. They do everything. It's, it's, it's number one thing. You know, right. Their children are aware right away. They're introduced to it early on. They understand yeah, In fact, is. you should be terrified to touch a weapon without training, yep. without someone's competent to yeah. teach you how to hold that and to maneuver it and to you know, load yeah. it and fire and it. And it's not a magical... People have a, the idea, and I think it's funny. Like when I told you early on, like people have this idea, which you touched on, that we are people inherently know it's not. It's I don't feel as safe as I used to, mm-hmm. and therefore, what do I do? And so the default is I'm going to buy a gun, mm-hmm. and then they, they do that, and they just you know it's it's the magic talisman yeah, that it's going to do it. In the garage, yeah, and don't up. and don't you know, ever train with it. Don't ever do anything with it and wouldn't know what to do should they have to use it, nor do they understand what it's like to deploy something like that. Right. You know, um, there, there's a lot to it when, when it gets to that point. And it's almost the same uh, psychology as a prepper, you know, buying food that'll last them a month as opposed to learning how to garden right. and storing seeds, you know, right. which is actually a much better approach uh, yeah, yeah, for long-term and, survival. And it, you have people, I think, with very unrealistic ideas. I, I think a lot of it, I, I talked to a very wealthy guy early on, he's very well known, and he has a safe house, and is, he bought a new house in Las Vegas, and it's, it's there. He was coming up with all these scenarios, and basically what I realized was this guy didn't really want to have an effective plan. Mm-hmm. He wanted to basically create a reality you know, kind mm-hmm. of experience for him and his family to play safe house, you know, and he had all those ideas and he had some crazy ideas. And I came up to him and, and went into his, his, this is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Las Vegas. And he said, okay, so I got this, this, and he showed me, and he literally had millions of dollars worth of equipment that wow. he bought in security. And he said, he goes, so what do you think? Where should we start? I go, let's start here. And <laughs> I held up, I held up the ticket that they gave me when I came through the gate. It had his name on. This is a very famous guy. Had his name and address on it. And I told him, I said, you know, my, my wife and uh, my kids play with his kids. And I said, I'm giving you this. I said, because I caught this right before I took my car to go get car washed at the car wash, which I know probably has about five or six ex-felons. I would have just left this in the car. And I said, they would have had your address and known right where you're mm-hmm. at. I mm-hmm. said, can we start with the basics? Like, right. maybe let's make sure your name is not being given out right. on everything. And he just looked at me. Just You saw the blood drain from his face because he didn't think it out. But people aren't doing, like, the basic stuff. They want to do all the, the Jason Bourne type things. Right. But they don't want to do the basic situational awareness stuff that can just keep that extra layer. Yeah, and, and in scenarios like that, because I, I, I was um, brought down to Texas to work with uh, – a wealthy hedge fund guy named Kyle Bass. Right. Remember Kyle? He's Bass a brothers, neat yeah. guy. Oh, not, yeah. not the Bass brothers that you're thinking of. Oh, okay. He's the guy that made like $300 million in the subprime crisis by betting, you know, against the oh, okay. market. Yeah. And, you know, he was pretty famous and a book was written about that kind of trade. 
And he's a very successful money manager. And he bets like long term against currencies. Like he had a long bet against the yen or, uh, you know, just brain right. stuff. Like he's super smart. But he wanted us, and I hooked him up with Chris Kyle. To, and he hired Chris Kyle to become his security guard. And, he had, and he's the guy that set Chris Kyle up with his uh, long gun range. Right. And when okay. became his okay. business partner. So that's who we're yeah. talking about. But anyways, he, similar st- story. He had this really expensive safe house in his house. Right. It was, I forget what they call the, the escape room, you know. Right. They had like secret doors to get to it. And the, all the kids could get from their room to the safe room without going out of their rooms. Right. Right, they were all right. like linked through the secret passageway, and then once you're in the room, the thing was like locked down, and they had enough. Ener- they had a generator, and they had food, and water, and weapons, and electronics, and they could hunker down there like to survive the zombie apocalypse. Right. And I said to him, I said, "This is really cool, Kyle Bass, not Chris Kyle, but Kyle right. Bass. This is before Chris came into the equation." I said, "This is really cool, but what are the chances that you're going to be home, right, when you encounter some scenario like that? Yeah. Maybe like one percent, right? And then getting home." Might not be the best course of action in some sort of scenario, right? Yeah. It may be the worst place to go. Right. And so you're investing in the wrong. I said the same similar thing. Yeah. You're investing in the wrong place. Invest in here. And so he that's, came to training. That was my sales pitch. He came yeah. up, spent a week with us training, and then, of course, that that's a different story. What well, happened? But that changes so many things. Once you take a smart individual like that, and they get exposed to something like on you know your process, and people are going. And they're actually engaging their mind and they're thinking about these things and they're creating a mindset that can actually not only deal with personal security, but they can think outwardly, you know, that way, you know, once you give them the tools, people are really good because the, the, probably the dirty secret, uh, that, that most of us don't realize if you haven't been in this world is we're already really good at this stuff. Yeah. We are, we are, we are predators. We're kind of built for it. We're built for it. People don't realize. Yeah. And all we have to do is if we can tap it back in, you're probably the uncomfortable aspect of it for you is it's going to feel natural. Here's a statement. Irony is that we're built to both be victims and predators, right? Because there are so many vulnerabilities on the human body that it's easy to be a victim to a predator if you have a victim mentality. Right. And most people have a victim or at least a sheep mentality where they don't want to be a victim. They're not playing victim, but they're going to be a victim because they haven't learned how to use the tools that turns them into a predator. Right. And maybe we don't you know, always use those terms, but we use the term sheepdog. Sheepdog's better than a predator. Predator, you know, essentially is an asocial, to use your term, an asocial yeah. violent, you know, person. Whereas a sheepdog is an individual who's controlled and has the capacity to deliver violence for a very specific purpose. Yeah. And that's in defense of something that's important. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and people are uncomfortable with those, those terms. Those terms make you know, people Dave, squirm uh, a little bit. Yeah. Dave actually, Dave Grossman, uh, who, who, yeah. who did that, he actually, he, he gave me a very nice blurb on my, on my book. He, I was talking with him about that and he said, is the author of on killing? Uh, yes. Yeah. On killing, uh, Lieutenant Colonel yeah. and great, great book. He said what was interesting when he first started going around speaking, he was amazed at how many people were, they were more uncomfortable with the sheepdog aspect than the predator. Yeah. Meaning, meaning I don't, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable being, you know, somebody that now, now I don't have an excuse. Now I know how to use the tool of violence basically Mm -hmm. is what, is what was going on. 
and it's because we've stigmatized it. We've said that, you know, this isn't something that it, well-meaning, very well-meaning over mm-hmm. the years, especially since the sixties right. of really trying to make sure that, you know, there's never a time where violence is, is acceptable. Right. Um, unfortunately, and, 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 and someone who uses violence to defend is just as culpable or guilty. Oh yeah. Especially if he inflicts injury as the perpetrator. Well, we see it as low level as at the schools. If you have a conflict now, you know, um, if you have a conflict now where, where there's any physical altercation, regardless if it was the bully that started it or, or, or yeah, what the both situation, get both kids get punished. Yeah, both, right. And what message is that sending? Right. You know, when I talked to my, my son, he was, uh, getting pushed around by an older kid. And I told, you know, I basically said, listen, I'll always back you up. Don't let anybody do that to you. And, and you, because he knows how to take care of himself. He goes, but dad, I'll get in trouble. I go, no, you won't. I said, you, you'll probably get in trouble at school. I said, but I'll go there and I'll talk about it. I said, as long as you don't start it, as mm-hmm. long as you're not the reason it's happening. And it's, it's crazy. I never felt like that as a kid. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a time where it was allowed, you were allowed to protect yourself. Absolutely, same here. And teachers knew, teachers knew. Now, the teachers are absolutely hamstrung. We have a completely different world right now. But the problem is it's creating victims. It's creating, it's creating a, uh, just a predator's ball basically for, mm-hmm. for these guys. And the good news is if we just do a little bit of training and tap into this, right. we can quickly switch the idea. Now that doesn't mean turning you into a super ninja right. or anything else. It's just an awareness that you don't have. You're not as vulnerable as you think you are. We all have the same vulnerabilities and that's the dirty secret. This podcast episode is brought to you by Organifi. Now we all know that Green juice is good for us, but juicing is a pain. It costs a fortune and it's super time consuming. At least that's my story. Uh, I don't juice. So that's why I opt for Organifi green juice as an alternative because it's super easy, super tasty. It's an organic superfood green juice powder. Just add it to your water and stir it up. It dissolves almost immediately. Drink it and it will help sustain your energy throughout the day. It'll reduce stress over time. And best part is it really tastes good. So check it out. To get your micronutrients from a superfood green juice, use Organifi. I think stuff is great. Go to Organifi.com and these guys are super generous. I know the founder and they have offered a 20% discount to you on your order. So go to Organifi.com, use the code unbeatable at checkout and get 20% off your order. And uh, that link is also listed below in the show notes of this episode. Organifi.com. Hoo-yah. That's yeah. what I love about your target focus training. So when I first met you, uh, you were with Jerry Peterson yes. and uh, one of the instructors for SCARS, right. Special Combat Aggressive Reactionary System Combat Fighting Course, yes. designed specifically for the SEALs. Yeah. And it had just started when I showed up for class 170. I think right. you had maybe two or three classes into it, right? Yeah. Now, we trained for six months, two or three times a week on the beach. Later on at SEAL Team 3, I did three of the five-day classes. Right. And then I did the 30-day, 300-hour class. Yeah. And I felt like by the end of that, I was finally, I could finally take care of myself. I yeah. mean, like I was pretty damn good. And you're teaching this stuff in two days yeah. and you're finding it to be equally as effective. Not Maybe not Navy SEAL level going into Fallujah, but uh, you know, you're you know, there's moms and there's, you know, people who are not in great shape and not athletes and not warriors who are taking your training and finding it extremely effective. So how, how did you do that? Like what, what's the science behind two days versus two years? Uh, it, it, 
it mainly is an improvement in the methods. Mm-hmm. So the principles are always the same. Right. You know, principles are that, that you and I came up yeah, with. Yeah, I, I mean, we train it here at SealFit, and they're the same. It's yeah. just a lot slower and a lot more precise right. with the targeting, I think. And that's, that's the hard thing for people to wrap their heads around is the idea of slowing things down. Yeah. There's a lot of great data about slow trading and fast execution, and people misunderstand the idea of slow training. They think it's slow meaning weak. But really what you're looking at is to go into the vulnerable areas of the human body, you have a choice. You know, you have to take something away. And most people choose to take away targets. Mm-hmm. So what to go the, fast. They to just go hit fast. whatever they hit. Right? Yeah. So I can hit nonspecific areas of the body that aren't going to produce a real injury, meaning they're going to create pain and discomfort. But, you know, you know, hitting somebody in the middle of the chest or, or any of the approved areas in, a, say, a, a combat sport, you can, that, that's more of a gutted out type of thing. Whereas when we go in these areas of the human body that we're talking about, you're going to cause irreparable damage. And therefore, the one thing that you can, you can need to take out of that equation is the body weight, is mm-hmm. the actual transfer of the, oh, I'm sorry, the velocity. Right. You want to keep, you employ your body weight, but you take speed out. Right. And when you think about it, speed's the last thing you add to anything. Yeah. Right. You know? It's the crawl, walk, run principle. Yeah. So if, add speed when you need to. And right. speed's easy to add, but precision is hard. And, and that's yeah. the and shoot, guys that understand shooting, guys that understand golf, right. you know, tennis, anybody that's there. If you have a problem with your golf swing or your tennis or shooting, mm-hmm. you don't go faster. Slow it down. You slow it down. And, and it's the same thing here. It's the one skill set that people don't put a lot of time into because what I need my clients to understand because is because it's not that much fun. No. I mean, when, when I was training scars, I mean, we were just really ripping it up and yeah. tearing it down and just breaking a great sweat. And it was a blast because we knew what we were doing. Yep. And then we tried to do these two-day seminars. Uh, we did them for a number of years. And, and maybe some of the listeners actually came to our combat defense program, which was with Tony Burke. Tony, yeah. Tony was another yeah. one of your instructors, uh, one of the yeah. instructors down there. What a funny guy. But it was game on. Yeah. It was scars. Yeah. Yeah. under a different name. And yep. so, and when, um, we didn't get anyone injured, but there was this perception that, holy shit, yeah. we're right on the edge. Right. And we were doing it in the water and we were holding people underwater to give yep. them that kind of like fear test and just crazy fun training. But we did end up scrapping it and replacing it with target focus because I realized that people would come out of that training and they still didn't know how to fight. They right. felt a little bit more confident, but they didn't, they didn't even remember the principles because they were so wrought in fear about getting hurt. Right. And so when I then, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but then when I started working here with Matt and, and Taylor and the team, yep. which are target, your target focus instructors, yep. local guys, and they said, Mark, just, you got to start slowing it down, slowing it down. Your skills are really good, but you know, the, your opponents here are beginners. And so yeah. we, all got, we got down to almost like Tai Chi speed. Yeah. And then I started to see how important it was for a beginner to train. And even for me to like back down to the basics and train at that level for the, for the targeting. Right. Yeah. Well, we, you and know, the, back when we were, positioning back when we were doing all the, the, the scars training and stuff, I mean, the, the, the badge of honor was pulling your shirt up and showing all your cracked ribs and, and, <laughs> you know, the black and blue and stuff. Right. We went hard. It doesn't necessarily get you the best results. And that's something that we found, you know, we, contrary to belief, I've had the most unlikely physical specimens go through our training at this rate that we're talking about in the first two days. There's a kinesthetic link that happens you know you you hit every aspect of 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 the training where we did two things we went from a technique based thing which you and i learned early on where we would have a set technique of you know kick your punch here one through a hundred master these moves and we we switched everything up to sight pictures and assembly so we would take a area of the human body and we'd switch it up we'd give you different sight pictures and then quickly 
you started making your own decisions. And so that was probably the biggest rapid improvement that we've, right. we've come up with with people. But what we found was by slowing it down, getting deliberate, the results were just undeniable. You know, we were looking at people and real world results, meaning unlikely people using this information and saying, oh, I remember what to do. And they just knew. At the time, they said, I know exactly where to go and I'm going to go as hard as I can. We're talking years after the yeah. training too. Oh, we've had people that literally, you know, had some people, I think the last one I got was seven years ago, the guy went through our training. And the idea is, it's because we're linking into areas of the human body that everybody has. And so we're not going into things that you're going to forget about. You know, everybody knows where their throat is. Everybody knows where, you know, the lower margin of the rib cage is. Everybody knows where the kidneys are. Once you have all this stuff pointed out to you, you know where you are. And we put you in situations where you orient your body from wherever you find yourself. Right. And so that's the other the great right. thing. It's is, not a sport. No. It's not athletic. It's not an athletic accomplishment either. No. It literally is understand where the vulnerable target is, identify that target. That's the site picture. And then apply something hard to it yep. with good physical structure, meaning your body weight right. is deployed. Yeah. And then you don't need speed really for that to be really effective because these targets we're talking about, such as the throat and the groin and the solar plexus and the eyes, are so vulnerable that you don't need speed. Yeah. Right? And that's just it. And, and, and when people understand the idea between injury, injury, true injury as we define it, you've, we've probably all experienced it. If you've touched a hot surface and your hand whips off right. really quick, you, that was not a willful act. That was an autonomic reaction. So you had an afferent nervous system response where the stimulus was so great, it didn't even make it to your brain. Right. And the body said, hey, pull it off. Right. And so during that time, you've disengaged the brain. You know, the body is reacting without the brain being aware of what's going on. That's what you end up exploiting. That's that's the type of level of injury that we need in somebody. We need to make sure that whatever you're doing to this person, you've now taken the brain out of the equation, so they're completely vulnerable. Yeah, Jerry and, used to call that capturing the mind. Absolutely, and then yeah. you could put you put serial injury on them, mm -hmm. you know, until until you're safe mm -hmm. at that point. And you know, our definition of safe is either the person is unconscious, they're uh, injured to a point to where you feel you can literally turn your back on them, mm -hmm. or they're you know they're they're deceased, they're dead, right, right. and that and that's really the idea behind this, but. The whole is there any concern that in two days you, you won't be able to teach someone to be able to scale it to where if, if let's say I want to, you know, I feel very confident personally that in a moment of choice, if an altercation, you know, finds me and I choose to have this altercation, that I can dial it back from death to, you know, to something less than death because I don't want to kill another human being. Right. It's the last thing I want to do. Right. And so I have enough training to, to where I can enter a conflict and, and feel pretty confident that I won't have to. But, you know, there's that 1% where it'll be out of my control. But is, can, you, can you teach that level of finesse in two days? Or is it just kind of like whatever happens, happens? What we're, what, probably the, the, the biggest change is not even the physical part of the training. It is defining when you'd ever use the tool. Right. And so once people understand that the only time that we – uh, say that, that, that what we're about to teach is is it useful to you is when you're actually devoid of choice meaning it, yeah. unless you've been ambushed you've been ambushed you're in it you're facing grievous bodily harm if you don't do something you're basically participating in your own murder mm. um and so and the idea would be if you had this is really helps people clarify it it's a situation that if you had a firearm you would feel comfortable deploying it and emptying that firearm into the threat mm -hmm. and so that's our threshold when we inculcate that into our students during the, during the two days, that's, they've never had a problem. What's really been interesting is we've had students that literally have taken people right to the brink. The next strike 
would have been the potentially lethal strike. And then they realize the person's non-functional. They're no longer a threat. Right. Either they're unconscious and they're able. Now, the reason they understand that is because of the way you're trained. You're trained to actually understand and get feedback. What that feed, injury is accomplishing. Yeah. And yeah. you understand what an injury looks like. There's, there's yeah. no surprise to you. You say, okay, yeah, I got the right reaction. If you didn't get the reaction, you know, you missed your target. Right. And, and also I would say you're in control enough to be able to make those t- you know, decisions in almost real time right. as opposed to being out of control and just flailing and ripping you know, limbs off and, <laughs> and that's <laughs> like what you the, see in the movies. And that's what the training methodology of going you know, slow and deliberate at right. first really inculcates because it gives time, it, it allows your partner, it's essential for the person doing the striking you know, that, they, mm-hmm. that they understand this so they get their targeting out. But the other side of the equation is if I'm going to allow you to use my body I need to trust you. And mm-hmm. if I know you're not going to jack me and you know hit me harder than I'm, I'm there, I'm actually going to relax and I'm going to give you really good sight pictures. I'm going to show you exactly what it should look like should you have success. Right. And that's the key. And you're going to model the injury. Yeah. And, and it's, it's another thing that's hard for people is, is this idea. It's almost it's my partner and I are cooperative. We're not compa- uh, right. competing against each right. other. You know, and that's a different concept for most people, you know, because right. usually we're pitting each other against each other in a, in a combat sport that's why you environment. Can't, you can't really train this alone. No. I mean, that's why the video thing is almost like you need a partner. You should yeah. sell them in Paris, right? <laughs> yeah, we've been successful doing virtual training, but mm-hmm. you absolutely have to have another human body. Right. I mean, that's just, a, you know, it's, you, there are some things you can train, but it, nothing moves like the human body. Right. You know, uh, people will use, you know, uh, training bags and stuff like that. But the problem is when you hit the human body, the human body moves, yeah. you know, and you have to understand that and model that. Right, right. Uh, that's why you'll see people like you'll see guys in combat sports. They do set, set motions boxing, yeah. and all of a sudden they hit somebody and they, they, they hit in the right area and the guy just goes and, and you and see the surprise look. Bad. Yeah. But it also throws them off. Balance. Yeah. It throws them way off and it's like, whoa, what just happened? You know, and then they got to <laughs> run over because they're not used to seeing the bodies move because right. they're not really trying to go for injury injury. That's interesting. Yeah. I have two, two thoughts that popped in my head and they're, they're not really related, but the first was one of the results of this type of training in my life was that since I learned scars, I've never had even an inkling of an altercation come even close to me. There's something about the psychology of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can take care of business, that you can defend yourself, your family, that violence seems to avoid you. Right. And that's almost a metaphysical thing. I have no idea how that would work. It could be, you know, you're you're shifting the matrix somehow. Yeah. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And then the second is not through direct experience, but my perception is that because you train slow, if the fight happens, the experience from, you know, the trained athlete or the trained individual is that the altercation goes slow. But the perception from the victim or not the victim, but the, you know, whoever's on the other side of it and probably a, a bystander would be like, wow, lightning fast. That was lightning fast. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, the, that's, that's the dilemma that, that, that people, when it's been done to them, it, the shock looked on their face, the predator goes from thinking he's in control right. to all of a sudden feeling really injured in the human body and realizing it's too late. And that look on the face that you see, and I've, 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 over the years, I've, I've seen that a couple of times, the look of shock when they realize what just happened and where, and that they're completely vulnerable at that point right. against somebody who they thought was not a threat to them. Right. That they, and they gave that person the opportunity. See, that's the real thing that we're doing here. It, people oftentimes when they think about violence, they imagine these, you know, set up, everybody knows what's going on type thing. And, and you know, you're squaring off and it's, it's this violence is very random. Really what we do is if the predator gives you an opportunity, we know how to exploit that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's why a smaller person can easily do that. The mindset that you're talking about too is interesting. When 
we go to like I, I for this last book I, I i went to the prison systems mm-hmm. and so i got access to talk to a lot of the corrections officers that interview all the top guys from mm-hmm. you know they all the, all the big gangs, you know, that run it. And the way they look at violence is very similar. And they train slow and they do all of this. And the reason they the train... The prison guards do, or the correctional officers. The, yeah. No, the, this is the, the prisoners. Oh, the prisoners. Oh, this, yeah, so this is the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, Mexican Mafia, and the Black Gorilla Family. They all have similar... Uh, They're allowed to styles. train in prison or they just do it in their cells. Their reading books are amazing. I mean, it looks just like a young officer's like JFK center stuff. So the prince from Machiavelli is, is highly read. The, um, the 48 laws of power. No kidding. The, uh, what was the other abnormal psychology book? The only consistency. I mean, they all read that the thing lacking in the military and law enforcement world. And that they're on the reading list is they're heavy. They, the other thing, the other subject they heavily study is anatomy. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that our first responders they don't, don't study, study. Right. which is interesting because they know that's the Rosetta stone. They know that's the roadmap. That's the thing. And the idea is that, they understand by focusing on the similarities of all humans mm-hmm. rather than the differences, meaning, oh, man, this guy's really big. He's really fast. He's really... If I focus on his differences, I'm yeah. behind power curve. Right. If I say, oh, okay, I understand there's all these landmarks like that he's I He's got a neck now. just yeah. like I've got exactly. a neck. Exactly. Yeah. And then you focus on that. You know, it makes a whole difference. And, and just it creates a mindset that's, that's very different, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the brain will go wherever you want it to go. If mm-hmm. you tell the brain you're a victim, you're a victim. If mm-hmm. you tell the brain where are my opportunities, it'll start pointing them out to you. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's one of the reasons. This is interesting. I, I, I'm not actively training. I stopped about a year ago and I did it because every, you know, human being that I would encounter, I, I would first see a bunch of targets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And, you know, with my yoga practice, it was starting to conflict with the the whole principle of nonviolence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't want to walk around with everyone being a target. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but it does get you, it does rewire your neurology or your yes. neuroanatomy to basically you just see the target. Yeah. It's fascinating. And that's what people, that, that's what people say. And, and the interesting part is you went back to, Hey, but I, it doesn't turn you into a violent human. No, being. so that's, that's I want you know, people, listeners not to think that, Hey yeah. Mark, you, you're not the kind, you're not the guy I thought you were because Wow, I just learned that you, you looked at me as a target. That's not true. I looked at you as a human being, but I saw targets. Right. And I realized I didn't need that dialogue in my head anymore. Right. Because it's all, I, the, the skills are there if I need them. I've proven that. And so you can enjoy life. I can enjoy life. Yeah, and that's yeah. the key. Like I tell people all the time, I go, okay, do you, you know, people say, well, you know, I think I'll bring it into my life if I study this. And I said, okay, well, do you have a, I go, hey, in your kitchen, don't you have a, a fire extinguisher? Yeah. Small fire? Oh, yeah, I have one of that. Yeah, because, you know, code in most, in most cities. So yeah, I said. So does that mean that you're actively looking for a fire that right, exactly. you want to go out there? Are right. you bringing fire into your life? I guess that's my or, point. So you know, just doing this, learning this training in a seminar is the most effective way to do it. Yeah. Doing it like a martial art is also effective, where you're training, you know, day in and day out. But right. it's really best for those who want to instruct. Yeah. You know, otherwise your life becomes all about targeting and weapons and it, it gets a little bit narrow I well the, the, the dirty the other dirty secret when, when i really started studying this and you know when we evolved through this you find that the best people in the world at using violence against other humans have zero training in combat sports and martial arts right when you go in these prison systems and you see how these guys methodically use it and what you triggered in on earlier about saying hey since i've been doing my training i've never even had mm-hmm. you know a potentiality of it what the prisoners that I came in contact with, and these are the shot callers, these are the guys that literally are the assassins and everything, 
they say, oh yeah, you know, you can tell which guy is which, you know, you can mm -hmm. tell this guy is going to be a problem and you're never looking for a challenge. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. A predator is never looking to get in a fair fight or anything. And they can sense, you know, it, we, we just have, we, we have so many nonverbal communication skills that we, mm -hmm. that we don't recognize because we're not really in tune with them, but that you start to develop and right. you, people just look, they go, nah, not him. I'm going to yeah. go to this guy. This guy's right. much more unaware, you know? Right. And there's that sense of confidence. What are some of, of those cues in your opinion? I think it's... Like the cues it's, of the guy who, or woman who knows, who's confident, knows how to defend versus uh, someone's it's, 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 an, it's, it's a, They walk with awareness. They walk with purpose. They, uh, they're not paranoid. The, the problem is when you start talking about this, you think you got some guy that's in hypervigilance or they start going with the code yeah. levels. Okay, I'm always Speaking in code orange right? or whatever. You right. know, no, you're not in code orange all the time. You're aware, you right. know? I, it, those are great things to kind of describe levels. Mm -hmm. Lifestyle was, it's just more when you walk through a door, you're there. You're polite but aware, you know, mm -hmm. is what I say. And, and the, the idea too is I go through life treating anybody that I don't know. You know, if, if I'm coming in contact with somebody for the first yeah, time, my whole, my whole approach to somebody is, you know, it, it's going to sound extreme, but hey, this person's six seconds away from a shooting spree mm -hmm. and I don't want to trigger it. So how am I going to interact with this person, you know? And what you find is the more comfortable you are with a subject of violence, the more peaceful you are. Yes. Interesting. I got a buddy, Char I don't know if you know Charles Polkin no. at all. Charles Polkin is a, a, a big strength trainer and he trains world-class people all around the world. What he'll do when he goes to a new city though, usually one or two cops will come to some of his trainings and he always asks the cop, if he doesn't know where to work out, he says, Hey, where do all the ex-felons work out? And the cop will look at him and say, well, they work out at this gym. He goes, oh, okay, great. And he always goes to those gyms. Hmm. And people go, well, why does he do that? You know, because he wants to be hardcore. He goes, oh, no, no, no. He said, by, by far, he goes, I have the most polite people working out. He goes, no hassles. Nobody disrespects anybody during that. Nobody goes and grabs your weights or gets in front of you or talks on their phone on, on, on the thing. He said, because those guys come from an environment that they understand it's it, the thing that backs everything up is if you, if you are not polite or if you do something that's disrespectful, it's going to be backed up with violence. Right. And therefore knowing that everybody goes out of their way not to go there. And so it, it's really funny when you think about that, when, when people are, the more people are used to violence, the more they're there, the less likely they are to ever trigger it. My wife is a, uh, uh, a captain with Metro mm -hmm. and she recently was doing a deal where she ran into a Mexican mafia uh, guy that she just ran into on the strip randomly. He was drunk and they picked him up. And she said, by far, this guy not only was super polite, he knew all the, you know, he knew exactly what to do to put all the officers at ease and everything like that. The guy's record was incredible, hmm. you know, what they had. But she said she's found the more violent the individuals, oftentimes, the more calm they are and the more they are. Now, they're definitely criminal. Mm -hmm. But we can learn a lot from that, you know, meaning. By learning the subject and doing, say, like a two-day or something like that, you've checked that block, you mm -hmm. know? Our goal with teaching kids to swim, you know, when, when, when my mom and dad taught me to, you know, made sure I knew how to swim, it wasn't to become the next Michael Phelps. Right. It was to make sure I don't drown, right. you know? <laughs> and so it's a life skill, you know? And I think violence is the same thing. It's a tool that everybody should know how to use. Right. You don't have to focus on it. Like you said, if you want to be an instructor, yeah, we can keep you busy for 20 years. Right. But the, the skill set level that we teach you in that basic two days of injury is more than enough, mm -hmm. you know, to take care of your survival. Mm -hmm. 
The only thing there is there's no such thing. I tell people all the time, there's no such thing as advanced training, meaning there's no, no, nothing advanced. All there is, is there's advanced coordination. Mm -hmm. So I will show you master level stuff right now. It's just, do you have the coordination, the physical coordination to pull it off? But I can also show you two very basic moves that'll get you the same result that you can do right now. Right. And so again, one, the reason guys like us do instructor and we take it beyond is, yeah, we want to challenge ourselves. Because we can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. And we want to challenge our our coordination, you know? So it's just how you look at it. Yeah. I don't want to give people any idea that you have to spend years and years before you can use this stuff. Right. No, I think that's true. I only publicly support companies and products that I personally use and have found valuable. So I wanted to tell you about Qualia. Now, I'm not a supplement geek. I don't find them useful if I'm fueling properly, but when it comes to my cognitive strength and brain health, I am excited about the emerging industry of nootropic supplements. I've been testing Qualia, designed by my friends at the Neurohacker Collective, for several months now, and it's on the bleeding edge of nootropic research and has become the one supplement that I won't go without on a daily basis. Qualia stimulates what's called broad-spectrum cognitive enhancement, which involves optimizing multiple cognitive variables simultaneously rather than focusing on a single variable. For example, it brings me greater ability to focus and makes me feel more connected while not diminishing my overall awareness of the environment. I experience a systematic enhancement of my brain's ability to take in and process information without any stimulating effect, which would make me feel agitated like caffeine or depleted after the effect wears off. Now, for a busy entrepreneur and athlete like me, it's a no-brainer to invest in my brain health with Qualia. You can get on the Qualia bandwagon with me by visiting neurohacker.com, that's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com, and use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R, that's UNBEATABLEMIND15R, to get 15% off the life of your order. Trust me on this one, you won't be disappointed with Qualia. So let me um, take a look at your book, When Violence is the Answer, the one that's coming out in September. And you've got, um, we might have covered some of these, so we'll, we don't have to go deep, but you've got four kind of core tenets that um, you kind of bring out, and probably more, but let's talk about these four. The first yeah. one is, I'll read a little bit of this, probably not all, but that violence is a tool. So learning violence is just like learning how to use a weapon, right? Right. That's learning how to use a weapon is learning how to use a tool for violence. Yeah. Learning how to use your body is no different than weapons training. Right. Right. And so that's a mindset. And you say, as a, stru- as a society, we struggle to distinguish between violence and the people who use it. That's Great the point. key. That is the key. Yeah. So what you're saying, though, is that as with any other tool, the proper object of our moral and ethical judgment isn't the what. After all, you wouldn't call a screwdriver or a toothbrush evil, but rather the why the ends to which human beings choose to direct violence. Right. So let's dig into that a little so bit. So the, the, the thing people have to wrap their head around is terms that we, that we do. We say violence and we have all these ideas of what it is. When I say violence is a tool, I say meaning it's something that's available to everybody. So you have, you know, one of the stories I always try to use is a, a young mom is at home at night. Her husband's on a business trip. She just put her little uh, infant to bed. She's you know, washing dishes, getting ready to go to bed in the kitchen. Guy comes crashing through the back door. You know, obviously a stalker has been there, you know, watching her for a while, realizes she's available, you know, she's alone. Runs in, they get in an epic struggle in the kitchen. You know, she's sitting there thinking, oh my God, this guy's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. She's trying to reach out. Nothing seems to be working as she struggles. She reaches up and she scratches his eyes. 
really bad, really deep into the, the skin, you know, scratching the skin. Guy gets so enraged, he looks around, he looks over, he looks at the butcher's block, sees the knife, pulls the knife out, stabs her in the side of the neck, murders her. Jeez. We agree as a society, guy should be prosecuted to full extent of the law. Right. If there's death penalty, probably deserves it. Never should see the light of day at a minimum. Okay. Now let's do that same scenario. Same thing. Guy comes crashing through the back of the door. Young mom gets attacked this time. Again, he's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. He's got the jump on her. She's struggling. She looks around. Instead of scratching him this time, she looks over. She sees that same butcher's block, grabs the knife, plunges it inside of his neck, kills him. We would probably all agree as society that she should be protected to the full extent of the law, lauded for protecting not only herself but her family, and she should face no legal you know, legal uh, ramifications to what she did right. because it was justified. Right. What I'm asking us to understand, you know, everybody listening out there is the knife to the side of the neck works, worked each time. Right. It didn't care if it was the good it's guy the or the bad guy. It's a tool. How the tool was used is how you'll be, you know, you'll be uh, judged on that. And that's really it. And so getting people to change their mindset to look at it, and go, Oh, it's okay for me to look at this. Doesn't make me one of them. Doesn't, right. it doesn't do, and yes, violence is, you know, you are learning how to shut down the human body, but we're doing it from a position of, you know, self-preservation, you know, not because we're choosing to use violence as a, you know, as a hobby, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. And I, one thing that crossed my head is I think a lot of people who are insecure about this think that the training is going to get them into more trouble. Right. Because right. they, they'll, be, they'll, they'll, they'll do something that won't work that's going to yep. enrage the, the perpetrator and then get them into more trouble. And yep. that's, a, that's a flawed mindset too, yeah. big time. I had, a, I had a woman in Sydney that uh, came up to me and she said, you know, thank you very much. She goes, you guys really explained the, something. She goes, I took a self-defense class seven years ago. The only thing I could remember from it was the instructor told me, never kick a man in the groin, it'll just make him mad. And that's the only thing she took away from the course, you know, whereas we showed, you know, Hey, here's how you get an injury or something right. like that. There's, there's a lot of well-meaning advice that's out there, but it's just dead wrong, yeah. you know, and, Absolutely. and, you know, challenging. That's why the book allows me to kind of get that message out and maybe change the way people look at the subject. I'm not even trying to train them right now. I'm try, trying to just say, Hey, will you look at the subject. It's, right. it's, it's all around us, you know? Right. And it's just one of those things that People, it's like the 800 pound gorilla. Nobody's talking about it. So let me talk about uh, the second point here. Social aggression versus asocial. Again, I think we kind of touched on this, but you say the majority of what we encounter day to day is social aggression. Here, the aggressor is not deliberately trying to maim, cripple, or kill, but asocial violence, on the other hand, is brutally streamlined. Social aggression is avoidable, and you should avoid it, but you can rarely, if ever, talk yourself out of asocial violence. So what, you know, what's the difference between asocial and social violence? So probably, uh, um, I'm going to give a fairly extreme example. A young lawyer in London about eight years ago, uh, walking home, got dropped off from the subway, the tube, walking through his, a park in a nice part of London, not a bad part of London, followed by two uh, criminals. They jump him, they put a knife to his neck, and they start demanding his watch, his wallet, his, uh, his briefcase. He complies. He gives them everything they ask for, and they leave. Everybody's happy about that part of it. It's exactly what all the police were telling them to do in there. Problem is, they came back. When they came back the second time, their heads were down, the knives were drawn, and they attacked him right away, stabbed him multiple times and killed him. Mm. He was heard yelling, um, I gave you everything, I gave you everything. You know, I want any client of mine to understand the difference between those two situations. The first situation was antisocial aggression, mm. meaning there was communication going on. The individual chose to respond socially. 
and mm-hmm. he complied and that's that was his choice mm-hmm. whether or not you know that's you know how all of us would respond I, that's not neither here nor there he had the opportunity to because it was still in a social uh, setting you know where it was unpleasant but people were talking to each other the second situation is the one that the book's really all about. Right. You know, the only thing that would work in that situation was you need something in the toolbox right. because they weren't coming back to talk. And in fact, if you engage socially in an asocial environment, you're helping your predator right. use violence against you. Right. And so you just telegraph that you're not yeah. trained. And the cool thing about learning the difference is we quickly learn people. I think one of the, the, the best uh, compliments I ever got was I trained a guy from Dallas, big oil man. Good old boy. You could tell he just liked to go to honky tonks and just get in brawls all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in his mid thirties at the time when he was there. Second day of training, he came to me in the morning and said, I just want to thank you. And I said, what? He said, after yesterday, he said, I called my wife and told her she didn't have to worry about me anymore. He said, because I understand after all these years, how lucky I was that a, I didn't end up irreparably harming or killing somebody by accident mm-hmm. or somebody doing the same to me. And he goes, over nothing. He goes, I chose to use violence. I chose to do that. He goes, I'm never doing that again. Mm. And so, and to see a guy understand, and when you expose people to real violence and you show them what real violence looks like and what it would take and what it takes to survive situations like that, they quickly understand, oh, this isn't anything I want to flip a coin on. I don't want to have to participate in this if I don't have to. And it changes your mindset. You know, it changes how you respond to things, things that normally would get you aggressive and you'd aggressively respond because you're under the assumption that, hey, we're on the same page here. We're both, we're both in, you know, civilized and we're not going to take it to the next level. And all of a sudden you get run off the road and you got a guy coming at you with a tire iron mm-hmm. and you're going, wait, 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 wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. You know, well, there's these disproportionate responses because we know nothing about that person. Mm. You know, there's a famous uh, Muay Thai uh, kickboxer, Alex Gong, and uh, he was killed outside of the Golden Gate Bridge where his training center was. Guy came into his parking lot, turned around real quick, sideswiped his car. Two of the kids were outside from the gym, ran in, told Alex, hey, this guy just sideswiped your car, and we can still see him because he got stuck in the traffic getting back to the Golden State. Alex jumps out of the ring, runs in all his gear, uh, runs up to the car, starts pounding on the car, hey, you know, just telling the guy, you're going to pay for my car, blah, blah, blah. This guy takes one look, looks at him, pulls out a forty-five, blasts him twice in the chest. Ex-felon took his girlfriend's car, was escaping, was a, was a three strikes guy. He knew if he got caught, he was not going back. Looks up. He sees this guy, this guy in full regalia, you know, just, just hitting him going, no, I'm not going to deal with this. This is going to stop me. Again, disproportionate responses. And the whole idea that I point out in that situation, I get it. Nobody likes having their car hit and run or anything like that. But why do you have insurance? Right. Did it respond? Did that response really, you know, make it, you know, and, and we lost a great competitor. Right. Over nothing, Over you nothing. know, at that time by a guy who just didn't care. So we, we make assumptions that we think we know what we're dealing with and we, you know, when we get socially aggressive and so the behavior modification that you get from actually learning how to use the tool of violence, it, I, again, I, I absolutely tell you, you'll get a little more peaceful life. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and one of the things that I teach is that first, you know, learn to move your body and, and then to control your mind. Unbeatable mind training is to develop absolute control over the thinking process so that you're making exceptional decisions moment to moment. And until you develop that control, you should never even consider entering an altercation because you're going to react in some sort of automatic way or through some fear-based response. 
And so if someone's saying, okay, well, I've done physical, I've done the seal fit physical training or I've done CrossFit, I feel pretty confident physically and I've been practicing ambient mind. So I feel like I'm in control. I'm not going to you know, leap into some kind of rage based reaction. Now, now I'm ready for target focus training, yeah. right? That's the tip of the spear, but yeah. don't wait. If you haven't developed physical and mental control, the training will still is very good because it is physical, mental training right. done at Tai Chi speed. Right. right? And that's right. going to give you the, the, the solid tools. So yeah. that's kind of a neat thing. And if people go on, I just want to tell you if they, because you know this, if people choose to go beyond, say, like a two-day two experience, you can ramp your velocity up. <laughs> you know, that is, velocity sure. can be added. But again, it's done at a rate where you never want to sacrifice accuracy and correctness. So, so yeah, and that's how we're able to have all ages participate, you know. Right. But you're, you're right. I mean, the mind is so... Even thinking about the subject is so taboo that if you can just get people to start wrapping their, their minds around the idea of, okay, this is just like swimming. This is something I should look at. It's a life skill. And, you know, what challenges are there, you know, that right. I can overcome? And I think people mostly will be very surprised how comfortable they are with the subject. And I don't mean comfortable in the idea that you want to become a violent person, mm -hmm. but you're comfortable with, oh, I understand how this tool works now. Right. And I get right. it. And right. I understand what it's for. And I don't have irrational fear right. anymore. We got to wrap up soon, but I, I want to just address the difference between a martial art and this type of, you know, the science of self-defense in my own words. So when I got to Bud's and I wrote about this, actually, Jerry told me, he goes, Mark, you got to unlearn that karate shit. I didn't tell him I was a karate guy, but he could, he could see that I right. was a karate guy. And uh, it took me a while to figure out what he meant, but he, he you know, he was talking about really the, the defensive patterning that the karate had put me in, the mindset of right. block, you know, weight. Right. Wait for the strike to come, block, and, you know, that'll get you killed because you're always one step behind, you know, your attacker. So then I, I thought, okay, I don't need karate, right? I don't need a martial art. So I just trained in scars thinking it was a martial art. And I did that for a while and it was fun. But then I realized, well, there were a lot of elements of a martial art that are really beneficial, but learning how to defend yourself isn't actually one of them. Right. Isn't that interesting? Right. It really is. And people mistake uh, uh, sport fighting or, or martial art like, a, you know, karate as being uh, really effective at uh, a violent encounter. Yeah. They're not, actually. Yeah. They, you're, you'll probably be better off than if you're completely untrained, but at the same time, maybe not because of the patterns that you've developed. And, you know, a violent guy is never going to karate chop a karate guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or leg chop a Muay Thai guy. They're going right. to do something completely unexpected. So anyone out there who's like, yeah, I've, I've done martial arts for life. I, I don't really need to do any training like this. I, I, I would say that's not true, right? This, the, the training and the science and the mindset of encountering a violent individual and disposing of that situation, you know, so you walk away, complements sport fighting and Absolutely. martial arts. Yeah, and that's just that we never, like, I, I'm based out of Vegas. And so I've got some of the top guys in the world, obviously with the UFC being right there that have trained with us, you know, and, and gone through it. And they absolutely understand the difference between what we do. Right. It enhances what you already have. Right. It doesn't take away there, meaning it's not an either or situation. Right. Right. It's, it's really just a, you know, it's, it's principles that are super useful and will add to whatever you already have. The only thing we, we, we end up doing is you'll absolutely, if you go through our training, you'll absolutely be able to know whatever move you were doing before whether or not that would get a true injury. Right. And, you know, when your life's on the line, would that actually be something that you would use? Right. Or would you alter it a little bit, maybe in the targeting or something like that? Right. And so that's where the guys, all the combat sport guys love it, you know, because they, they find it as just a, a really good additional aspect of training. Right. Oh, yeah. 
Awesome. All right. So when violence is the answer, thank you very much for my pre-release copy. Yes. Uh, by the, the time alley. this podcast publishes, this book should be out. But if, if it goes beforehand, it's coming out early September. Uh, Amazon.com, I'm sure, is probably the simplest way to yep. find it. Yep. And then if anyone wants to reach out to you, they can find you where? What's the best way to find probably you? Probably best is uh, targetfocustraining.com, timlarkin.com. Okay. Either one of those will get you. Just you know, Google in, Tim Larkin. Yeah, Google me and good luck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome, Tim. Thanks very much. Hey, thank you, Mark. Really appreciate I appreciate your time it. here. Awesome. All right, folks. Thanks for your time today. Super interesting uh, subject. Not in our normal realm of discussion, but I, I, you know, something that it's really important, I think, in our day and age to learn how to take care of yourself and your family and your tribe. And it's not as complicated as you think, right? And so um, Tim Larkin's Target Focus Training is an ec excellent place to start, and as well as his new book, When Violence is the Answer, or your initial book, Surviving the Unthinkable. Surviving the Unthinkable. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Hoo-yah. Till next time, train hard, stay focused, and develop that unbeatable mind. Coach, if I know.